WQHD HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers and our continuing coverage on the coronavirus crisis. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're broadcasting live to you via Hot 97 New York and live stream around the world on Hot97.com and the free Hot 97 app. You can find me and follow me at Lisa Evers on Instagram. We will be live shortly on Instagram. Uh, Twitter and Facebook at Lisa Evers and also at Hot 97. Now, over the next two hours, we're going to break down the latest developments for you and hear from those on the front lines once again about what's really going on. We're also going to hear from New York City's First Lady, Shirley McRae, on her new mental health initiative for first responders. And of course, we're going to be taking your telephone call starting right now at 1 800 223 9797. That's 1 800 223 9797. Now, the way I look back at this week, I sum it up like this triumph, tragedy, and testing. The triumphs were in the reductions of deaths in New York City and New York State, which continue to drop. But the major indicators are that we are past the worst phase of the epidemic, but not yet at a place where all of the restrictions can be lifted. Although yesterday, Saturday, that warm, sunny Saturday, look, a lot of people were out and a lot was going on. Um, the tragedies, though, are still way too common. Dr. Lorna Breen, medical director of the emergency department at New York Presbyterian Allen Hospital, she treated coronavirus patients and survived the disease herself. She could not survive, unfortunately, the trauma of seeing bodies coming in already gone. She took her life. 23-year-old rookie FDNY EMT John Mondello, the son of a retired NYPD officer, took his life after telling someone he was too troubled after seeing so much death and feeling so bad that he was unable to save lives. So our, our thoughts and prayers and condolences go out to the families and loved ones of those heroes. Another loss, Paul Carey, a 66-year-old EMT from Colorado who came out of retirement and, ca- and came to New York uh, to save lives here, only to die of the coronavirus. We thank all of them for their service and say rest in paradise, rest in power. Now, what they experienced was something usually seen only in wartime, which is why First Lady Shirley McRae is bringing in wartime mental health experts from the Department of Defense to New York City. We're going to find out more about that in the 8 o'clock hour. On the testing part, many more COVID-19 tests are available. There's new clinics and new places that are opening up in our communities, and so are the antibody tests. Those numbers will continue to rise, and Dr. Manny will explain that to us. Also talk with us about some of these new drugs we're hearing about, and take your questions and calls at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Our public health system was also tested. We saw a Brooklyn funeral home lose its license after residents noticed a very bad smell and called 911. Dozens of bodies were stacked inside rental trucks. The funeral director said, quote, we had bodies coming out of our ears. That was a direct quote. Uh, Tuesday night, the Williamsburg Hasidic community tested the city's no public gathering social distancing laws when thousands of Hasidic Jews flooded the streets for the funeral of a rabbi who ironically died from the coronavirus. The mayor showed up himself to oversee the dispersal, and both Mayor de Blasio and Police Commissioner Dermot Shea say that time for talk is over. Those who violate this, whatever community they are in, will get summonses or arrested. And I have to say, following that uh, display on Tuesday night, 
the NYPD did go into synagogues. They did do dispersals. They did issue summonses, dozens of summonses uh, the very next day. So we'll see how that plays out in every community, especially with the weather getting warmer and people getting more restless. Uh, we all got tested for another week of life on lockdown, especially those who have lost their jobs and are having trouble getting their unemployment checks and other benefits. Clearly, our old systems need updates to cope with this harsh new reality. But like New Yorkers, we always find a way to move forward, no matter how tough it is. The good news, we're here for you at Street Soldiers and Hot 97. Let's get into it right now. Uh, joining me is Dr. Emmanuel Fambu. We call him Dr. Manny. Dr. Manny is a physician, surgeon, author of the best-selling book, The Future of Healthcare, and a public health advisor to key decision makers. Um, Dr. Manny, when you look at what's going on right now, what are some of the most stressful aspects of this epidemic for these first responders and also for these doctors and these nurses? Yeah, hi, Lisa. So I, I think the biggest challenge here is when we talked about this earlier and we, uh, we told everyone to stay home. It's because we know that our hospitals are being overwhelmed, right? So the more people come to the hospitals, the more stress you have on the staff. And so, and the less care they could provide to each single person that's in the hospital, right? So the people that might be dying, not necessarily because they're too sick to die, but because you don't have enough people to take care of them. And so there was a lot of demand on healthcare workers, uh, you know, to work long, excessive hours, right? So even, even prior to COVID-19 hitting, burnout rates within clinicians were extremely high, right? Suicide rates among doctors and nurses was already high uh, in, in a particular uh, population because of the burnout rate. And so then, now you look at what happened with COVID-19, for example, where you, you pull in everyone. Even I talked to a good buddy of mine that was doing his fellowship in cardiology um, in New York City. They actually had to move over to COVID-19 mood, right? So everyone is, is like all hands on deck, right, to take care of this. Right. And so people come in and you're watching so many people die every single day. People are not used to seeing that. And so it's very traumatic. And so that stress on healthcare workers and, and, and frontline workers that are being engaged with these patients and watching them die, EMS workers, so watching people die at home, right? Because after 20 minutes, they can't, if you don't uh, recover resuscitate. from that, resuscitate and they leave you at home, right? So that's uh, a massive toll because we're all humans at the end of the day. And so we need to have systems in place to actually take care of people. We also talked about this previously about after 9-11, for example, more people died after 9-11 from mental stress and suicide and, and cancers than people that actually died on that day of 9-11. The same thing we, we are going to see here if, if we don't put in the right uh, uh, things in place. To These measures in place and help. What about the, the other aspect that struck me, you know, um, th over the over the week, too, and, and seeing some of these stories about doctors and nurses and hospital staff having to do FaceTime with people as they give their, la you know, as they're taking their last breath or as they take that respirator tube um, out of their mouth. The doctors and nurses also are expected now, they have that extra emotional stress because there's no family members or friends or loved ones around them. Correct. So every um, clinician, uh, doctor or nurse now, is, is a, it's an um, emotional therapist now, right? And, and so you, you look at the last minute where people are dying alone. That, that, that's the scary part of this, right? Oh, it's horrible. Correct. So you, you're home and you have family member that gets sick. Um, they show up to the hospital. You can't go into the hospital to be with them. And so for emotional support, you have these clinicians frontline that are not experts in necessarily training people, coping with emotions themselves. So now they have to make sure that person is comfortable emotionally, and then that person dies, that they are the only person that could get in contact with that person. Family members can come, funerals are being dispersed, right? People can even go to funerals. Uh, so it's a very, very sad time to die. It's a very sad, sad situation to be in. And so that emotional toll on, on, uh, is, is pretty strong and massive on any one of us. What do you think, do you, in terms of the, and then, and then the other factor that they had too was that there was no, they had to, in some places the nurses were out demonstrating for PPE because they didn't even have enough protective gear. 
Correct. And, 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 and this make, it makes it even worse um, in a certain sense where you have frontline workers that are there sacrificing their lives for this and going through all this emotional stress. And uh, at the same time, you have people that are in parts of the country that are counter-protesting against them, <laughs> right? And I've seen healthcare workers on the day off actually going down to fight to say, please stay home, let's get back together. If you look at, uh, you know, like just even the rates of infection um, across the board in New York City, uh, for what the governor was actually showing uh, yesterday in his, in, in his uh, presser, you see that the rates are actually decreasing over time. Right? We have fewer cases um, across the board. That's because social distancing measures are working, right? And so please, let's just follow that through and we'll get back to but Dr. Mandy, what about, but there was another thing the governor talked about during the week too and explained that for us because we're seeing more testing. So does that automatically mean we're going to be seeing more cases? Like what makes a case? Does a, if somebody tests positive, does that now become a case and become a case number? Correct. So the more tested, so New York City in general, if you compare New York um, or the state uh, to other states and New York, New Jersey, you see the highest numbers. That's because we had the massive, we have massive testing going on. So the more testing you do, the more cases you will find because we know that there are people that are probably carrying the virus that don't get sick themselves, right? We have this asymptomatic carrier. So there are a lot of people that might have come in contact with the virus, but they didn't get sick, but they're able to contaminate other people. So when you do testing in general, the people that had it and had mouth fever that recovered, there are people that had it, but they didn't get sick. Uh, from it, so you tested all those people plus people that got sick and went to the hospital, right? So you have a much broader population, and you never know unless you test everyone. So the people that, for example, will say I had a fever in this in January, maybe it was COVID nineteen, right, or coronavirus. Right, I mean, no. we don't know because that's the height of flu season too, and the weather stinks. And correct. So the more testing you do, you pick up those people as well. But what about we heard this term, which is probably not, I'm sure, is not new to you, but new to us, herd immunity. Because they said, oh, well, maybe as many as a quarter, 25% of the New York City population, which is like over 8 million, have already had coronavirus or were exposed to it somehow. But there might be, we have to get to some point of herd immunity. What is herd immunity? Correct. So herd, um, if you think about it, it's like a community immunity kind of thing, right? And so the idea here is the same kind of concept. The best, the simple way to explain it is something like chicken pox that we're all familiar with, right? So I remember as a kid having chicken pox, and then uh, if one kid in the neighborhood had chicken pox, then everyone just hung around that kid and everyone got chicken pox, right? Because then everyone was exposed at the same time and everyone's immune system was boosted at the same time, right? So right. we all then got protected. That's what herd immunity means. It means having, having immunity as a community. So if everyone, for example, in New York City had a vaccine or you got exposed and you had antibodies against it, then no one gets sick within that community if no one else comes from outside, right? So it's a herd. So in, in, term, in terms of the vaccine, because we're hearing about they're fast-tracking these different vaccines, what do you think about where we're at with that? Correct. So when we look at vaccines in general, so what exactly are vaccines, right? Um, so when you have a virus, for example, the virus has this little... A receptor outside a little protein, right? That comes in and think about it like a little spike that attaches um, to to your cell. Then it gets inside your cell and it replicates more viruses that spread up, and that's where you get sick, right? And so what they're doing is, but, but the, the infectious part of that virus is inside that virus, right? Not on the spike, right? That attaches. And so what happens is, uh, you could do something called, uh, you could do a vaccine where you take like the shell of the virus but it doesn't have the infectious part and then you inject it into someone, right? Um, that could go in and then trigger your body to respond in an immune way, right? So you could recognize it and say, hey, this is the virus, so I want to produce antibodies to fight fight against this virus. And then you get protected that way, but you don't get sick because the infectious part is not there. 
What is really cool now is we are looking at something called RNA and DNA-based viruses, which means that instead of injecting that shell of that virus into you, they actually are putting uh, proteins in there that could actually uh, code and, and designed um, that. So you put in the message or the signal within an RNA into your body to actually then create that, that, that shape. It doesn't infect you as well. It's the very first time uh, that is being done in, in this particular case. So it's a very novel way of looking at things. And remember, no, vi- no vaccine has ever been developed in less than five years, ever, <laughs> right, ever. So this is the very first time. And we have over 100 vaccine candidates looking at different approaches to vaccine. Right now. Right now, correct. And so we're very confident that we'll definitely get something, hopefully get something within. So, so the, big, the big question everybody wants to, wants to know the answer to and that the, the elected officials, the governor and the mayor keep getting asked is, and the governors of the, when can things, re, that, when can things reopen? Do we need to have a vaccine before life can, quote, unquote, get back to normal? We can have concerts, nightclubs can open, shopping malls can open. Yes, the ideal situation for us, for us to get back to actual normal, uh, remember this thing will happen in different phases, right? We, we, I think society will reopen in multiple phases, even before the vaccine. Like uh, we saw uh, this weekend with New Jersey opening the, uh, doing a test run, as Governor Murphy said, test run with the state parks. Correct. If you look at Jersey City as well, where testing is not available to every single person that lives in Jersey City, uh, for example, right? You could, get, you could get a test, and I think uh, at Los Angeles is doing a similar thing, and I think New York would do the same thing. And so what, what is going to happen is in multiple phases. So today, because we know at least 12 to 18 months for us to get a vaccine, we don't expect to shut down society for 12 to 18 months, right? And so what... No, we can't. Correct. So in the meantime, what we will have is we will look for medications that can cure, right? So Gilead's medication uh, recently uh, shows some promising kind of results um, that we're interested in. So for now, there are a couple of ways to go about it. The first thing is... Uh, if we know that you have uh, you have antibodies against this, or you you know you've been infected in the past, uh, which is a kind of herd uh, immunity discussion that we had, then you will probably get back to society because you're if it's the same thing as being vaccinated, right? So you're back in society. If you are negative and have been tested positive ever, you might join those people back in society because then they can infect you. So that'll be the first group. Then those that are sick can then be quarantined and then make sure that they uh, they get better and then you bring them back into society. But we will not get back into a full functioning mode and feel comfortable or this battle will not have been won unless we have a vaccine. All right. We're joined right now. Let's go to the phones. Uh, we're joined right now on our Hot 97 Newsmaker line by New York State Assembly member Karinas Reyes. She's also an oncology nurse. Mac, Jack the Mac, am I doing this right? Okay. Assembly member Reyes, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Good morning. We're also joined by Dr. Manny as well. Hi, Dr. Manny. Good morning. Good morning. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for what you're doing for the city and especially for the people of the Bronx. I don't know how you're doing it all because you're you back nursing. You're out there with Assemblymember Michael Blake and the Bronx uh, Community Coalition out there, relief organizations, feeding people, doing doing it all. So thank you so very much for what you're doing for everybody. You know, this is why we were elected to office, right, to, to right. serve our community. No, for sure. What made you decide to to get back into nursing because you kind of put that on hold right for a while as to do your your duties with the new york state assembly yeah so i i hadn't been back on floor on the unit uh as a nurse since i was uh sworn into office in january of 2019 um but like this where uh we had i mean we've always had a shortage of nurses that's not like a new thing right um 
but because so many of the medical staff was getting sick, I was getting calls from some of my colleagues on the floor uh, saying, hey, can you come work? Can you come pick up a shift? We're down to two nurses. We're down to three nurses. And, I mean, how can I say no? Uh, for me, going back to I don't, them hiring a new nurse, I don't have to be retrained. I still have all my credentials. I can jump in and, and get to work. So uh, for an open. And then the um, what was what has it been like for you in the hospital? It, these have really ha- uh, been some of the worst shifts I've ever worked as a nurse. Um, the amount of patients that we're seeing that are sick, and and this novel virus is 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 so new. Um, as you know, we don't have any any real cure or treatment for it. So for us, it's really trying to keep patients um, alive and comfortable and breathing, oxygenating well until their bodies and uh, can fight off this, this virus. And um, it's very difficult to feel like your hands are tied, right, because you, you have people that are decompensating so quickly. You may intervene and intubate them, but there's only so much that you can do. Um, and That's also a lot of these people are alone, right? You think the doctor mentioned it. Um, there's no lot at the bedside. Um, people, unfortunately, are, are convalescing alone and oftentimes alone um, without anybody next to them, without any, any of their loved ones by their side. And, and Assembly Member Ray, as a, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because it seems to me, you know, it, as a professional, as a healthcare professional, as a trained nurse, you're there, you know, you, you know, the certain procedures that have to happen, you know, what to do to get that person, to give that person every possible chance to fight for their life. But then it occurred to me I, this week, I was like, you guys also have to be giving them the, all that emotional support too that the family members and the loved ones would normally be giving, but they can't because they're not allowed in because the virus is so contagious. That's got to be an extra stress on 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 you and the other healthcare workers as well. Yeah, this has absolutely been an emotionally draining experience um, for all of us. I mean, just the fact that you are completely geared up in in PPE, where where. You know, usually you would put on your PPE to go into a room that's on isolation. Um, under these pandemic circumstances, we have literally put on our PPE at the beginning of our shift and keep it on for 12 hours. Uh, you, you may take it off if you if you get the opportunity to stop and eat or if you get the opportunity to go use the bathroom. But for the most part, you are geared up all day. It is uh, physically taxing. Um, and then to be able to provide, you know, uh, try to provide that human contact um, and that support to somebody under all of this equipment where you're not really sure if they can, you can look at them in the eyes and they can see you and, um, you know, trying to communicate to somebody through a mask, through a shield um, is difficult. And for us, it's it's emotionally taxing as well because we we are a profession that's very caring and very giving and, and uh we try to be uh, emotionally connected to our, our our patients and to give that support, but it's difficult under these circumstances, right? And and also we're overwhelmed. Um, we've also have had uh, to take care of multiple patients, much more much more patients than we're usually accustomed to in terms of our caseload. And you know, you're spreading, you're running around. So many patients are in critical condition. It's just been a very overwhelming experience. Um, so I, I really have to 
give it off to all the staff that's been working. And it's not just the nurses, it's the doctors, it's the PAs, it's the nursing attendants. I mean, I think everybody has had, um, has felt the brunt of this and everybody has been chipping in to make sure that, that we can get people through it. No, absolutely. I mean, we've had people call in who are hospital staff, who are part of the maintenance crew, who are part of the engineering crew, people, you know, calling in that are working in the hospital in other capacities. And and I'm so glad you pointed that out, too, as so many others are involved in keeping this massive effort to save lives going. Yeah, and we can't and we can't do it without without everybody. Right. It's a machine that needs everybody. And and what we realized uh, during this time, how many people that ha- that are often overlooked are now considered essential workers, right? And that's because the city doesn't run without those invisible people that kind of make the city run. Things don't just happen magically. Um, it be you know run the train, who cleans the train, you know how we get food to the supermarkets, uh, the people that have to clean the supermarkets, and I mean every every aspect of our lives that uh, oftentimes we never gave a second thought to. Um, has become very uh, evident how important these. Oh, absolutely. We, we, we see all we see all these people, you know, we see we see how much work actually goes into just maintaining what we you know, what we what we called uh, normal life, you know. Right. Right. Um, and life is definitely going to be different from now on. And I, I it's my hope that as a society, we start to um, be a little more mindful and grateful of those individuals that um, make our lives better. I mean, even when you talk about immigration, um, a lot of these essential workers are immigrants and many of them undocumented, right? And when we talk about people that are in this country um, without papers or or some people who share a sentiment that we shouldn't have people here who who uh, are illegal in, in, in their terms, um, I think should should give a second thought to, you know, how they're getting some of their food delivered now. Exactly. Assemblyman, Assemblymember Reyes, uh, Dr. Manny Fambu is with us. He has a question for you, I think. Sure. Yeah, sure. Good morning, uh, um, Assemblywoman. I, I know you are, you are uh, out of the Bronx, and uh, if you look at uh, the mortality rate, uh, especially, you know, with COVID-19, significantly higher in the Bronx. And I actually read an article about you uh, like several weeks ago. So it's, it's, great, it's great to have you um, on air to have this conversation. She's one of our heroes, one of our heroes of the fight. Correct. And so yesterday, actually, um, the governor also talked about uh, some of the preliminary results from the antibody study uh, mm-hmm. that was done. And it was quite actually very interesting when I looked at the data that, that, that was there, right? If you look at New York City in general, the percentage of people that are actually positive from the antibody test was about 19.9% in New York City. I mean, New York overall, New York, New York, yeah, right? New York City overall. But if you look at the Bronx, um, the rate in the Bronx was 27.6%. It was actually the highest um, in, in auto boroughs in, in New York City specifically, right? And if you look at um, all, within uh, the demographic uh, places of people that tested positive, um, I'll look at dates like uh, 422, 427, and May 1st. So this is very interesting. If you look at um, uh, the black population on uh, on 422, you had about uh, 14.1%. Um, of patients, of people that were actually positive initially, right? Um, the white population was 57.1%, significantly higher. And over time, um, the number of people that tested positive within the white community went from 57.1% to uh, to 9.1% on, uh, on April 22nd to 89 and then um, on May 1st was 7%, actually lower. 
which tells you about access to testing initially, right? So it was initially testing happened. It was not access. People in the Bronx didn't have access to testing, right? <laughs> right in the first right. place. And even with current rates, you see the significant higher rates. What do you What do you have to say around that? I think I think we dragged our feet uh, in terms of of testing, particularly in communities of color and um, communities that are densely populated like ours. Uh, there was access to to testing, like you said, the white population and, and the more affluent people uh, had better access to testing early on. Um, and I think that speaks to our healthcare system, right, and how we serve um, some of the neediest communities and, and communities of color, particularly. Um, and And I think, can you imagine what those numbers would have looked like if we were only giving access to testing to people who had health insurance or had uh, oh insurance gosh. that could pay for testing? Right. Uh, we need to consider moving forward how we expand access to care um, for everybody across the board. Because at the end of the day, when we have things like, like a pandemic, they don't discriminate, right? They don't care where you live or the color of your skin or how much money you have in your bank account. Um, at the end of the day, this is something that affects the general population, and, and it's in the best interest of society to make sure that every single of the, one of our members is as healthy as can be. No, absolutely. Correct. Right. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the thing about uh, health people, equity. Yeah, correct. It. And people being in the country illegally as well. Just this week, um, I had a, a good friend of mine reach out because he's from Colombia um, by background, and he reached out because he had someone reached out to him because it's a lady in Chicago. Uh, that was visiting the country and her visa had expired because she couldn't travel back because of what happened. And there was testing within the, his, the Latino community in Chicago. She went in and tested positive uh, for COVID-19. She had uh, pulmonary embolus um, about 14 years ago, so she was high risk because we know that is increased uh, risk of people having blood clots right, with COVID-19. Yeah. Right. So literally, she, she's in an apartment complex and she, this lady would not leave. And she had fever and massive back pain and she refused to go to the hospital. Right. And she was calling her doctor in Colombia to actually help give her feedback because she's terrified of what will happen to her if she goes to the hospital. Wow. So this person is in the same community that we are in. She's going to go to the grocery store because she needs to eat. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. she, she's going to tell people. So that's everyone being at risk of this. So it's very important for us to, to cut this nonsense and actually be open to, you know, to look at each other as humans. As human beings. Ab ab absolutely. Assemblymember Reyes, we have to um, take a break, but I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, it's an honor and, and, and keep up the great work. You're really inspiration to so many of us thank you lisa thank you for having me thank you dr manny you too take care all right take care. Work. Thank you. take care thank you we'll be back this is street soldiers 1-800-223-9797 phone lines are open we're going to be taking your telephone calls coronavirus crisis we're on it we're here with you we'll be right back this is hot 97 street soldiers hosted by lisa evers welcome back to street soldiers this is our continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis i'm your host lisa evers twitter instagram live right now at lisa evers facebook uh, at hot 97 we're all over the digital streaming uh, platforms thanks to our amazing hot 97 digital crew and uh, joining me in studio dr manny aka dr emmanuel fambu he's a medical doctor MD and MBA, best-selling author of the book, The Future of Healthcare. He's a medical futurist, and he advises uh, some of the top policymakers about what's going on uh, with this whole coronavirus uh, pandemic right now. We're taking your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Dr. Manny, you ready to take some calls here? We've got sure. a lot of people. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. All right, let's go to Dennis right now. Dennis, hi, you're on Hot 97. How are you this morning? 
Good morning, Lisa. I just wanted to give a shout out to all essential workers, particularly at Hot 97. Dr. Manny, Lisa, you also, I know how much, uh, I cannot even imagine how much uh, work must be involved in all of this, particularly research-wise. And I also would like to, if I may, give a shout out to uh, a buddy of mine, Tony from New Brunswick, who is a construction worker. And that's pretty much about it. All right. Well, that's a short shout out list. Any any question for Dr. Manny on the health health front there? Not Dennis? at the moment, but okay. I really appreciate it. And I listen to every single show. Uh, I mean, I cannot even stress enough how informative this show really is. You, had a, you, had a, you called uh, a couple of weeks ago about the data and statistics. Do you like the numbers? Yes. So I remember the voice. All right. Well, Dennis, <laughs> thank th- Dennis, thank you so much. Spread the word and uh, keep listening. We appreciate your support. Absolutely. Okay, because, you know, there's a whole crew here. There's a whole Team Lisa here and Street Soldiers team here uh, getting everything going. Thank you so much. Let's go to uh, Nancy right now. Nancy, hi. You're on Hot 97. How are you? Hi, Lisa. Hi, hi. Dr. Rani. How are you? Doing great. Yourself? Ah, uh, meh. Shout out to New Yorkers everywhere. Shout out to Long Island. Shout out to Korea. Okay, we're okay. I'm gonna put the shout out. The shout out shutdown is going back in effect. De- Dennis got me uh, at the early first caller there. Nancy, what's your what's your question or comment? <laughs> <laughs> I got a serologic antibody testing done this week. Okay, and my result was zero. I have no idea what that means, but I'm glad Dr. Manny is here. What does that mean? So it's negative. So you're negative. That's bull donkey. All right. Thank uh, you. All right. All right, Nancy. Thank you so much for the call. But I think, you, isn't that a good thing if you're negative? Correct. <laughs> yeah. wait. She used a slang there. I don't, wonder, okay. I don't wonder what that slang is. <laughs> I need to um, go back and read a dictionary. Uh, wait, but somewhere. are you... <laughs> <laughs> taking a taking a test, yeah. But, but and, and if you if you're taking the, the antibody test is to test if you already had it, correct? Is that right? Correct. Yes. So the antibody test says uh, you've already had it and you're recovered from it, right? Or you might still be sick and test positive. So if you have no symptoms and you you have, you, you have a negative antigen test and so you have a positive antibody test, that means that in the past you've been exposed to the virus and you recovered. Same as getting a vaccine. So, wait, I, I still don't understand. So the a- antibody test, if it comes back and they say your results are negative, that means you don't have coronavirus now, or it means you did have coronavirus, but you don't have it now? A couple of things. So, so, so That's what I get so, so, there, so there are two different tests, Okay. right? So if you show up and let's, let's take TB test, for example, like a, like a TB test. If you had a TB vaccine, like most people that, that, that grew up outside the U.S., like from India, Africa, Caribbean, right. if you had a TB test, if I, like I, myself, if I take it, um, the antibody test for TB, I test positive. But it doesn't mean I have TB. So I need to do an X-ray to show that my lungs are clear, that I don't, I'm not actively infected with, with, with TB. Does that make sense? Right. If, if you do an antibody test for chickenpox, and you've been exposed to chickenpox, you're going to test positive. It doesn't mean you have chickenpox. Oh, okay. Because you have symptoms. So if it's negative, it means you've never been exposed. exposed. That's, that's what that means. Isn't yes. that a good thing? It's a good thing. Yeah, so you've never been exposed. So it's a good thing. But in, in, the, in the context of herd immunity, it's completely different here, right? Okay. That means that you, but you are susceptible to getting sick, right? Because oh, you have been exposed. I see what you're saying. So okay. you're at risk of getting sick down the road. So it's in the long run, we'll all be positive for antibody tests. That's the ideal situation. When we have, when we have the vaccine come in, then we'll all test positive for the antibody test, which means we have been exposed and we fought it and we recovered. That's the goal. The goal will and be. And that's the goal when everything can, things can really 
get back. We can Correct. have, we can have concerts at risk. and... No one's no one at risk. Because today, let's say... Uh, Everybody, like we don't caller. know who. Correct. Like the caller, if you say, hey, I have, I'm negative for my antibody test, which means you've not been exposed, that means you're still at risk of getting sick. Right. right? Which means that if you leave, take the train, the subway, and you get exposed to the virus, you definitely get back sick. Right? But if you have an antibody, that means you're infected and uh, you recovered... Uh, or you were sick and recovered, and now you have in your plasma, you have these antibodies, that means that in the long run, hopefully, uh, you cannot get sick again, which is the goal. So the goal is in the future for everyone to be positive with antibody tests. All right, I think I think I got it now. Okay. But that doesn't mean I won't ask you again. Of course, not, of course, not over it again. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, Tanasha. How are you? I'm doing okay. All right, thanks for calling into Street I have, a, I have a question. Um, I, uh, I know I read your comment yesterday about the um, the distant part, about me in the park and stuff, because I was at the park yesterday, and I was at two parks, and the second one, we was at the park, me and my friend, and they were saying that how we, um, the sign says you got to wear a mask when you go to the park. So why a lot of people, majority of people in the park, they wasn't wearing no mask, like, you know, out of, you know, it was like the, not our, you know, not the black people, white people, white people was not wearing masks, and kids was not wearing masks and stuff, I don't think it was not fair, because if we had wear masks, how come they wasn't wearing masks? They were sitting in the park, they were sitting close to each other, it was not, this is nothing, it's not fair. So you saw, would you say, what percentage of, of people yesterday, would you say like more than half were wearing masks or less than half? I say 30% of people was wearing masks, the rest of people was not wearing no masks, and that was not right. Everybody was sitting in the park, in the grass, sitting next to each other. It was like, act, act like nothing was happening yesterday. It was like, act like it was night to see what's happening. It's real though, right? But everybody in that park was not wearing no masks. The kids not even wearing no mask. Babies not wearing no mask. What the hell? It's like crazy. The mother's wearing a mask, but the kids don't got the mask on. The kids get sick too, right? No, totally. Tanasha, what, uh, which parks were these, or what, what borough were they in? It was in Manhattan, the one on 14th Street, and uh, I forgot the other park. I think the other one fell there by um, West Fork. I walk over there, but I think it was, I forgot the name of the other park. Washington was Square Park, you mean? Yeah, Washington Square Park, yeah. Washington Square Park. All right, Tanasha. Oh, by the water. All right, thank you, thank you so much, thank you so much for the call, Dr. Manny. What about this? There, there were a lot of people out yesterday. I got many comments too on social media about this. Correct. So, so um, this this is where things um, get very tricky and, and and weird a little bit, right? So, so the idea is if you come close to someone, right, or you're within closer than six feet, uh, you should stay six feet away from people, and then if you get in contact with people, you put on a mask. Um, if you're in an open space, so the idea is people say, hey, I'm going to the park and I don't expect people to be around me, <laughs> right? And so right. you go to the park. So people then lower their guards and so they don't put on masks, uh, for, for example. But if you're in, in a city park where, people, where it's probably more crowded than if you're up uh, upstate or somewhere in a park where there's no one, they probably don't take a mask. And so people feel like, hey, I'm free and I'm out in open air. I'm not next to anyone. It's not a bar. It's not a restaurant. So So I'm out. But when you have people be, being that close, the least you could do is take a mask with you. So when you see someone coming close, put on your mask, right? Just to, that, that's the best bet and the best way to go. But everyone should be carrying a mask um, at the least. And you definitely, you definitely need one to go into stores. You, you absolutely have to have one. There's a lot of stores. Um, that's, the, that's the city law. It's the state law to go into a grocery store. You have to have a mask, which I think is a great thing because even when they limit the how many people can come in, there's always a lot of people in there because of what's going on. Correct. And that's a tricky part here where uh, 
you know, if you if you are in a park, people feel like I'm by myself going down the trail, which is not the case in a, in, in a park in the city, right? Right. It's, it's a completely different kind of environment. And so people automatically have this guard down where they think, well, it's not really crowded. But what happens is when everyone is stuck at home and then there's beautiful weather and everyone then decides to go to the park, right? So then the parks get crowded. Same thing happened in Florida with the beaches, right? Or California. Right. Those kind of crazy right, video. Where everyone stays home and then when you say, hey, uh, let's go to the beach, everyone goes to the beach. To the right. Beach, the first becomes, opening. Correct. It becomes overcrowded. And so it's counterproductive, right? So that's a challenge that we have. And so then we get to the point of should we limit people that get into parks, right? To say, hey, you must have a face mask before you get in the park. Um, and so the city rules will be completely different, hopefully, than the state rules, right? Uh, we have a much broader park where you are hiking with in, the, in, the, in the wilderness. And, 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 the, and the fact of the matter is, you, they just there just aren't the personnel. You you have police officers going around, which they have to do to enforce social distancing in all sorts of public places, which there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of incidents that they have to get involved with every single day. In New York City, according to what the statistics are from the NYPD. And then, you know, the parks, there's not fences. Some parks, there are fences around, but the bigger ones, there aren't, which is a beautiful thing. Central Park was supposedly packed with people, the Great Lawn yesterday. And um, I don't know, maybe... maybe where, where else do people go? I mean, right? I mean, exactly. we have parks in the city. If you live in the city and you're stuck in your apartment, and then, I mean, you have to go Where, where else are you going to go? Correct? You don't want to go on the subway and go too far either. Correct. But it takes another question. I mean, the bigger question here, we are assuming that people that don't have masks means uh, they don't want to wear masks. And they, the city's going to be giving out masks free. Correct. That's what I'm saying. So people cannot afford masks. That's another piece of, right. of this, right? And so right. where can you buy a mask right now in the city, <laughs> right? I mean, you have to know someone or go to the right shops to get it, right? And then plus, exactly. people are laid up. They don't have extra cash you know to be right. buying to buy masks so do we have masks available everywhere which i, I heard um i think uh, the mayor uh, mentioned that i guess people will be getting free masks right, right. which They're i think trying that's, to do that. that's very important for people to get masks. no i think that's a i think that's a great program 1-800-223-9797 this is street soldiers i'm your host lisa evers dr manny with us on deck handling your questions and calls we'll be right back this is hot 97 street soldiers hosted by lisa evers Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Lisa Evers. And big shout out to everyone that's been uh, following me on Instagram, especially at Lisa Evers, um, following and, and sending so much love and support to my nephew, AJ. He survived the surgery and is uh, beginning that long, tough road to recovery. But thank you so very much. Your prayers and positive vibes meant so much to me and my family. So we really appreciate that. Um, we are talking about the coronavirus crisis, taking your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Dr. Manny is with us in studio. He's a medical doctor, best-selling author of the book, The Future of Healthcare. And uh, Dr. Manny, let's go right now to... Uh, Oren Barzilay, let's see where Oren is, okay. Um, he's the president of the FDNY EMS Local 2507. He represents the FDNY paramedics and EMTs who have been doing such an incredible job answering thousands and thousands of 911 calls each and every day. Oren, thank you so much for being with us again. Hi, thank you for having me on again. Thank you. Oren, first of all, our condolences uh, you know, to the EMS on the death of... 23-year-old rookie EMT John Mande- Mandelo. That that just had to be a, a, a tough one for you guys. Yeah, it's uh, extremely difficult when uh, a person takes his life. Uh, and this is something we mentioned at our first uh, 
time you brought me on that the next phase will be uh, PTSD and mental health uh, illness related to COVID-19. And here we have, uh, uh, sad to say it, but an example of what uh, the, the after effects of what our city uh, EMS personnel are dealing with. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Well, he was uh, a, a new employee. He was roughly uh, two months on the street. Uh, he graduated, uh, I believe he was in the middle of February. So we didn't really know much about him, but, uh, you know, he uh, graduated, hit the streets uh, in the Bronx, uh, where it was extremely one of the busiest boroughs that we have. Uh, and seeing and hearing about death every day, uh, I'm assuming uh, impacted him in a way that, uh, that it was uh, unfortunate that he took his own life. Right, and, and some of the uh, some some of the comments that were made and in, in, in some of the stories about him were that he just you know that feeling of frustration that he just he couldn't save the lives that he couldn't save everybody, and uh, you know obviously he comes his father's a retired NYPD officer, and sounds like he comes from a family of public you know dedicated to public service. So so our, our condolences and our thoughts and prayers go out to the Mandela family. But Oren, in terms of what's happening with the EMS now, we're hearing uh, from the mayor that, you know, there are fewer deaths, that there are, uh, you know, the, the case, fewer hospitalizations. Has it slowed down a little bit at all for your for your members? So um, he's right. The cardiac arrests have decreased. Uh, we're we're down to 200. Uh, it's still significantly high. Uh, we're, we're used to seeing 40 to 70 cardiac arrests a day, so 200 is not a small number to be uh, touting as uh, we're making a difference. It's still significant, but uh, we, can, we can learn something maybe from other cities that have opened up the, uh, their states. Uh, for example, Georgia. Uh, we see a significant uh, a spike in people who are now being positive. So uh, I'm glad our city is still kept uh, for essential employees only, because otherwise we will be seeing the same thing as other states are now facing. Are you concerned by not being as oh, by not being as strict? But are you concerned? And I, and I'm sure you heard from your members yesterday. There were a lot of people out all over the city and every public space was just packed because it was a Saturday. It was warm. It was sunny. We've just had, it seemed like we had the whole, whole month of rainy, dreary, cold weather. Are you, are you concerned with the weather that, that there might be an uptick? Absolutely. Uh, I, I, we understand that people are frustrated from being at home. People want to get back to work. Uh, it's totally uh, understanding, but we're not over this. This is still, uh, it still has the potential to spike up again. So we just need people to stay a little more vigilant for a few more weeks, and then we can maybe try. But uh, should this hit us again, uh, it will be devastating to the EMTs and paramedics uh, after everything that we've, we've gone through. Correct. And it's very important to add to that, um, that every state follows the same rules, right? So imagine today if in New York, if we are following these rules, and then in Florida, other parts of the country, they're not, or Georgia, they're not following these rules. 
and then we reopen, and those people from Georgia travel to New York. We'll be back exactly where we are in the first place. Well, that's why the governor wanted to have Governor Cuomo wanted to have that seven state, like this whole northeast region, so he couldn't just drive across the state line to go someplace else. Correct, and that, that, that's why all of us have to be in this together to to, to to solve this, right? Because getting to this point to say that, well, you can't go to this state and that state and you can't come here doesn't help us get back to the new normal in the long run, right? And you just put stress on the entire system right. for, for all. Exactly. Uh, we're going to cross-contaminate each other. That's basically it. Or, or in terms of, uh, we heard the story this week about this Brooklyn funeral home where they had, I mean, horrific people noticed a smell on the street, and then they had a, um, you know, they found they found all of these bodies there. Is is that something? Does the EMS, when you guys are delivering patients, do they have to experience going past these types of things? These these pop pop up morgues, as they're called. Uh, we do. I mean, uh, again, when we first came on the show. I mentioned to you that our city is a war zone is when we were driving by 18 wheelers where we see all these refrigerated trucks with bodies in it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's out there. I mean, we see it on a daily basis. It's, it's, that's also going to be causing some mental illness to a lot of people in the community. And, too. Uh, it's ter- yeah. it, I was just about to say it's terrible for the community to experience something like this. And correct. And, you know, before yeah. last time we spoke about this about symptoms, um, you know, for COVID nineteen, and we're looking at like the fever kind of symptoms, right? But recently, there have been papers that talked about people that are positive for COVID nineteen and then actually present as having cardiac arrest, right? Completely different um, a symptom. And now you're looking at a lot of inflammation and like more like cardiovascular related kind of symptoms associated with these patients. Uh, so do you see, because even the numbers that you mentioned, they're still significantly high, right? Admission rates in the hospital is still over 900 patients. So it's still a very high number, but not at the peak of where we, we used to be. A couple of weeks ago. Correct. Do you still think that there are a lot of people that are probably at home uh, or cases of people having cardiac arrest that might be related to COVID-19 and we're still not counting those people? I believe we're still not counting those people. And I can tell you from our call volume is that people are, are dying at home. People are simply afraid of of going to the hospital. So they're trying to cope with it at home. Maybe this will pass, maybe this will go away, but they're still dying at home. Oh my God. Correct, and there are people, the cases that we know, the people going to the hospital and you test positive, they ask you to go home and see if it gets better, right? Same case of what happened in Chicago when I told you, uh, my friends. We've uh, had callers that have said that. Correct. And so they tell you to go home. Go, go home. So what exactly is when, when you go home as an individual, I mean, as, as uh, the average person, how do you know when it's really bad? Right. Right. And then you start seeing stories and people think, hey, uh, that means that when I go to the hospital, that's when I die. <laughs> right. So people are staying home and people are fighting this from home. And then, and so they're they not checking in again. Right. Because once you, you say you're positive, people start looking at you in a different way. Don't forget, it's a stigma attached to this, too. <laughs> right? No, absolutely. Absolutely. OK. Or just just finally, anything, any any light at the end of this tunnel that you see? Um, I think it's going to get better. Uh, my my main concern and our administrative uh, administrators' concern is that mental health will be the next major thing to deal with. I know people uh, are afraid to come out and, and express this issue. Uh, there's a stigma attached to it, but uh, people need to speak up. If they need somebody to talk to, if they have some something that's heavy on their mind, on their heart, they need to let us know. Um, you know, 
know, we're, we're all in this together and uh, mental health is something that should be definitely looked at by the city regarding everybody. All right. We're going to be talking to uh, New York City First Lady Shirley McRae later on in the eight o'clock hour about her plan to bring in uh, the, the, these uh, experts from the Department of Defense about combat stress to uh, talk with all health care providers. So, Orrin, thank you so much for being with us and thank you for the update. OK, and stay strong. Yeah. And I know you I know you will. And I know all your members will, too. And thank you for everything you and your members are doing uh, to save lives and help us through this crisis. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you so much. You. Uh, Dr. May, let's get to some phone calls here. Um, oh, here's a good one. Nicholas. Yeah. Hey, Nicholas. Is it Nicholas? It's Nicole. Oh, Nicole. Okay. Sorry. Nicole, um, you're on Hot 97. Thanks for calling in. What's your question or comment? Yes. Uh, good morning. My question is, I work in a warehouse type environment, and once the central air is put on, would that um, circulate the virus into the facility more? Oh, that's a that's a great question, Doctor Manny. What about that? Because a lot of facilities, a lot of workplaces, um, a lot of the medical institutions closed. You know, when windows don't open, and once they turn the central air conditioning on, what effect does that have? Can that spread the virus? Definitely. I mean, that's not a good one. That's why when we talk about airlines, for example, same, same kind of concept, right? So you, if you are in a closed kind of system, um, some hospitals, uh, Lisa, a couple of weeks ago, you showed me, uh, the, you know, this picture of like these pipes coming out of hospitals right. Right? Uh, to get some of the air out. If you're, if you're in, a, in, a, in a closed environment and you have the same air going over and over again around, then you're basically recirculating the same things around the environment. So, so that that is a worrisome piece. Uh, I know a lot of um, of uh, hospitals and and, and uh, and manufacturing plants and all that are actually using that way so they could spray the air to make sure that they actually kill the virus, right? So it doesn't circulate. Um, I've been in discussions recently about, you know, probably putting this in the HVAC system, right? You can actually kill uh, viruses as they come up within the system as you circulate air. Um, so there, so there are many ways in which companies are looking at addressing this, uh, which is happening. So it's possible you might be there, but there are other ways in which they're actually trying to disinfect. What yeah. What about in your own home? Because it, I mean, yesterday was seventy. You know, yesterday was seventy degrees. So we're, we're autom- automatically thinking like, wait a minute. If I turn on the air conditioning, if you're turning on air conditioners in your home, and there's uh, you know a family in there, or a lot of people in there, in your home, is that gonna that's gonna spread it too? That if you have someone sick um, at home, then that's a complete different element, right? Uh, of Don't the, turn on the air conditioner. Correct, exactly, because you, you're circulating air, and then someone is in one room, and they have the virus, and they quarantine in there, and you're circulating air back and forth, <laughs> right? That could be a, that could be a challenge, right? Wow. In a very close environment. Um, so those are things to consider. All right, let's go to uh, Armando right now. Armando, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right oh, ahead. Yeah. I don't know what that was in the background there, but let's go to uh, Mike about. Oh, here's a good question. Mike, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, how are you? Hi, um, how are you doing? How you doing? How you doing, Mike? Um, Manny. Uh, so my name is Mike. I'm calling out of Staten Island. Um, basically, my question was, when you, you know, we're wearing masks and someone else is not wearing a mask and the um, droplets go into the air, it can go into the eyes as well. Am I correct? And you can get infected through through that way. Yes. What about the whole eye thing? Because we're seeing these face shields, people walking around the street with these fa- visors with the the plastic shield over them. Guy at the gas station had one on. Correct. So, I mean, the idea here is an opening, right? So if you have an opening and the virus gets, yes, 
gets in your eye or gets in your mouth or gets in your nose. But we know this is a respiratory disease uh, primarily. Um, and so it's, it's, that's one of the things that's very hard to, to find out where, how someone got it, right? Did it come into the eyes or through the nose or, right? And, and so it's, but we know it's, it, it's a virus, uh, that is respiratory. So people breathe it in. Um, uh, that, that's the primary, um, uh, mode of transportation, of, of transportation. So that's what we know for now, right? So uh, does it, can it come into the eye? No, I mean, we don't know. We, uh, we don't know. All right. Let's go to Mark right now. Mark, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Uh, good morning, Lisa. Um, I work for I work at Creedmoor, and um, we have a closed building, no air. Um, excuse me, no windows are able to open, and we have central air. But certain parts of the building are warm, certain parts of the building are cold. We're hearing about warm or cold. Now, how will that affect it? And far as you know, making it travel more, or even being a petri dish, because again, we can't open the windows to get any fresh air. All right, let me ask Doctor Manny about that because you know what, Mark, I'm. These these buildings, like and especially a lot of the old buildings, which New York City has a lot of old buildings and a lot of the institutions like the one you work at are old buildings. They have sections where the air conditioning is fine and the air feels OK. And then you go in other places where it's too hot and you're going from these different temperatures. What about what he's asking, Dr. Manny, in terms of uh, these different temperatures, which in some of these buildings is pretty significant? Does that have any effect on the virus spreading? Correct. So all we can do is like minimize the risk of spread, right? And so the more cleaning we do and the more disinfectant we do um, in any particular environment, then we decrease the risk um, of, of this happening. Uh, we do know that the virus is airborne. That's one, right? So if you have air blowing, uh, it would definitely, uh, you know, carry across long distances. Um, but we also know that the virus is also very fragile. So it's very easy for you to, to, to die, right? So the likelihood of that happening, going through a system with a warmer temperature, probably kill the virus, right? So he's not, uh, has like this iron shield that is going to last, right? So even exposed right. outside doesn't last that long. Um, and, and so, so I don't think that's the most likely mode of transportation of the virus. So I don't think there should be a lot of concern. But in the ideal situation, you don't want to recirculate air. And I think you're going, we're going to be hearing more about that, too, as we talk about reopening and businesses reopening. A lot of the office buildings are are completely sealed with these internal air systems. Sorry there. I'm already having these conversations already. So I, I know a lot of uh, office buildings are already putting plans in place to make sure, um, you, you know, th those things are taken care of. All right. This is Street Soldiers, 1-800-223-9797. Dr. Manny with us uh, taking your telephone calls. I'm Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. WQHT HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. All right, and we're taking your phone calls at 1-800-223-9797. This is Street Soldiers. And uh, Dr. Manny, let's go to Sean right now. He has a question. Uh, Sean, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, Sean. Okay, I think we lost Sean. His question, though, was about food getting contaminated. So the you're more are you more concerned about the wrappers the food comes in and the bags and the packing stuff or the food itself? Well, so if you say food, um, let's look at fruits and other things that we want to do, right? So hopefully you wash them and then you should be fine in a particular case um, if uh, your, your food is warm, um, most likely kill the virus, right? We, we know, um, like hot temperatures, uh, you should warm your food. Uh, same thing you do, um, you know, in a, in a typical situation to prevent any kind of infection. But the concern I will not, um, assume will be directly in the food itself, right? If it's prepared and even if, even if the virus was there, those hot temperatures would probably kill 
whatever the virus is. And so uh, the biggest exposure piece will be around uh, the packaging of, of, of this product. If someone is holding it or carrying it, and we've talked about how to get rid of this. So if you have, um, you know, the kind of delivery at home or you have like food delivery, uh, it's best advice, you know, to open it up and, and grab the, the food out and then uh, uh, get rid of the bag. The packaging. So, and, and then what about the um, microwaving the food? Like, I mean, we use the slang term nuking the food, but does that, will that kill anything if there is anything on it? Of course, definitely will. It, it, it will? Yeah, it will kill. Right, right. So we know that hot temperatures um, will, will, will kill it, right? We know UV light kills us, right? Um, sunlight exposure will kill the virus. So it's not, it's not a very strong virus like that. So you put it in a microwave at the high temperatures that it's in, it will definitely kill it. But then the question becomes, do you uh, microwave a salad or do you microwave? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> right? Or do you microwave? I don't, I don't microwave do, do, my do, salad. Do you microwave <laughs> a burger? Right? I mean, I'm sure there are different ways you could do this. Right? Um, right? So, so I think the best idea is to do universal precautions, but we don't look at food right now as a, the major route, route of transportation. But we do know, as, like about a month ago, there was a lady that went into a grocery store coughing on food and then telling people that she had COVID-19. Right, which is a which is a, one reason why I'm really glad that people in grocery stores are required to wear masks and a lot of people are wearing gloves too. Co- correct, because it's very important, right? And so people walk around. Yeah, and they so, pick up something, look at it, see what's in it, put it back on the shelf. Which actually happens. You know, I was in a grocery store the other day and I was just looking at like boxes of cereal and I realized... How many people touch this but this box of cereal? Like, <laughs> right? Does everyone have gloves? And you're like, like, okay, that's enough. Correct. And don't forget, even if you have gloves and you cough on your gloves, it doesn't mean that gloves The glove is not protecting it's anything. Not right? So yeah, you have to just have these universal precautions. Exactly. All right, let's go to uh let's go to Ray right now. Ray, hi, you're on hot ninety seven. Go uh, right ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for I joining us. What's you your guys yeah, so the question is, uh I have an air purifier in my house, uh, as long as in my in my central air. And the air purifiers, I was wondering if they're beneficial because they have, like, uh, germ filters that could uh, potentially, I guess, suck up any germs that are in the house. Uh, what are your thoughts on them? Like a HEPA? You have one of those, like, HEPA air filters? Yeah, yeah. Well, what about that, Dr. Manning? Yeah, any, any kind of precaution um, is great, right? So, I mean, it's always great to have clean air, <laughs> right? So that will help. But then remember, the truth. It's, it's also very impossible. It's, it's impossible for us to actually say if someone got infected, how they got infected, whether it's from air or from touching, right? We, we never know, right? So, so I think it's just an idea of universal precautions. Let's do the best we can, you know, to stay safe. And, you know, also, because the weather's changing, this is bringing a whole new level of questions and concerns from people like the air conditioning, like the central air. And uh, let's go to Eric right now. He has a question. On this, Eric, hi, you're on Hot 97. How are you doing this morning? Hi, good morning. We're calling from the Fire Department of Mount Vernon, New York. All right. To give you a shout, but but uh, also we wanted to chime in uh, with the with the weather getting better and it's finally breaking. Uh, there's an increase in mosquito activity. Now we know that bugs can transmit uh, viruses such as malaria. You know that's common through mosquitoes. We had the SARS outbreak and Zika and things like that. We don't know yet if coronavirus can be transmissible through uh, that medium. But we do give a heads up to people to get themselves a kind of bug repellent. That's and a, that, that's one of the one of the things that people haven't given thought about yet, but a can of bug repellent might be a lifesaver this summer. Oh yeah, to have the bug especially if people are going into parks and that's the only place or we have we have those uh that humid weather which we always get. 
Correct. Well, yeah. What about that, Doctor Manny? What, what about what? It, and shout shout out to Mount Vernon Fire Department. I know you guys are, are doing a lot of great work in in Westchester County. So shout out to all of you. But Doctor Manny, what about what what Eric is saying in terms of the bugs? Do we know anything about the bugs? Well, I mean, the, the, the virus is so novel that we don't know anything uh, about it, right? So at this point, I think uh, even though I mean, this malaria kind of situation, but we do know if you look at another virus, for example, like like the flu virus, right? If someone has a flu. Or other forms of coronavirus, uh, are they transported through mosquitoes as the main thing? We have not seen that in that case. Um, right? If you look at things like HIV, for example, can a mosquito bite someone and take it to another person and infect it? That's not the case in, in some of, in some of those uh, instances. But like, what about like the West Nile virus? You know, the mosquitoes. Correct. So there are specific viruses that will come from 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 from, from vectors, right? Which right. Is what you call them. But in this case, we don't know, right? So there's nothing we can say. And, and so so the caller is perfectly right. Um, so we don't know. So I think it's one of those things where we take universal precautions until we take know. Take the bug repellent. Yeah, correct. Here is we have to be more proactive and, and cautious, right? You don't want to wait and then and then disregard it and then find out later that it was a problem. <laughs> All right, we got a, we got a lot of questions. A lot of questions about the air. Let's go to Portia right now. Portia, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning. I was call, um, I'm a DSP, so the buildings that we're working in is not really. We don't have any central air, so mostly the doors are like. If you prop the doors, then it's a fire hazard. So there, you know, there's a let's say twelve twelve people in a room. It keeps, you know, the air is not circulating. They're coughing. There was one, we found out that one of the the um, clients in them were positive after the, like after a while. So what is my, I'm asking, what is the best thing we can do, like, to keep the air moving around in the building there? Um, for, first of all, Portia, explain to us what, what a DSP is and what kind of work you all do. It's a di- direct support professional. You, we take care of people with disabilities and stuff of those sorts. Right, Dr. Manny, this is a this is an important question because there's many, many people that these direct support professionals, they're helping people with all sorts of problems and issues, physical and mental health issues, and they're in one-on-one close contact. And then, Portia, are you talking about a facility or talking about an apartment building? A, f- a facility. A facility. It's more of a facility. Yeah, she's saying there's a lot of people in a small room. Are there windows there? Do you have windows? Are there any windows? We have windows, you know, it's an old building, so you might get one or two that will open or stay open for a while, but they're more active in the living rooms. You know, the living room is more their home space. Right. We try to separate them, but, you know, sometimes it all comes into one area. Right. You know, and they said the doors are, if the doors are, um, Propped um, open. Propped open, they're a fire hazard. The fire so. hazard. What about that? Yeah. So, I, I mean, is the building being disinfected? Do you have people going around wiping things down? They come so? They come in, I believe, twice or three times a week. Well, that should really there. be every day, right? Correct. I mean, I think they should. They, yeah. yeah. If they're doing the subway every day, they're doing the subway now every day from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., they should be doing residential facilities every day too. Correct, and that's what we need, we need to know about these things. Um, you know, and thanks for calling. You know, so we could create awareness around this, <laughs> right? To say, hey, you need to up things up. I've actually had conversations with with, with several buildings where they're trying to clean the offices, clean every fifteen minutes, right? Oh, yeah, oh my gosh, to get people in, to get people to come back. So these conversations are taking place. But I definitely think, uh, based on the current situation, I mean, there have been studies around this that uh, you know it's possible. Uh, or there'll be indications that you could spread the virus through the, the air conditioning system, right? So this is not something we're imagining. Right, right. so so really, so Portia, it sounds like what Dr. Open Ma- a window. Open a window if you can. 
um, to pre- press for daily cleaning of the facility. Correct. And then the other yeah, thing- because of the facility now, I work in two different facilities. One of them has two patients that had the virus. One they claimed still kind of still has it, kind of. and the other one did her quarantine and she's fine. But now that they had took off the 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 one that was on quarantine that has it still. They didn't know that she still had it because they, you know, she did the quarantine. She did so they. Um, she recently found out that she still has it, and but they had already let her out into congregating with all the other, you know, all the other all the other residents people. that already, yeah. And to find out that she still has it again. Now we do. They, they also do cleaning in that facility at least once or twice a week. So a it's week, kind of, you know. Did everyone get yeah. tested? I mean, did everyone get did tested? Did everyone get tested? All the all the residents? No, no just the one, just the ones that in, that went into the hospital. All right, Portia, this sounds like a, a really bad situation. And for example, if you work in that building, you should be tested because you've been exposed, right? I mean, just in general. Uh, please, please tell me you at least have masks and gloves. We have the masks and gloves. But they're they're giving out the mask, you know, the mask is in the short supply, so we're kind of giving the mask every three days or, you know, the gloves, we have gloves, yes. All right. But the mask is on an every three-day basis. All right, Dr. Manu. Okay, Portia, I'm, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Thank you for the important work that you're doing um, as a direct service uh direct support professional. And um, let's see what Dr. Manu has to say. Number one, they have to... Cl- I don't even need to be a doctor to figure this one out. They need to. They definitely need to be cleaning every day. Correct. And 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 the the rule here is if you're around someone and you've been exposed, um, especially in this case, we have two people that tested positive, right? And right. for it, and, and the whole population. Correct. And, and we can hear in the stories of people being positive and then coming back in without being tested again. This, this is right. like we've heard this multiple times. Right? Exactly. Where they say, "Oh, you're sick. You could quarantine yourself for 14 days, and if you feel better, they come back into society," which is not right. You should be tested. And I think everyone should be tested there to make sure who is positive or not positive and then do a self-quarantine and return people back to work based on that. Exactly. All right, let's go to Lisa right now. Lisa, hi, you're on Hot 97. How are you? Hi, Lisa. Love you guys. Love Hot 97. Thank I you. have a question. If you tested positive, right, how you know is out your system? Like, how you know? That's a great question. Dr. May, just take us through because we this is this is happening in a lot of different places, not just, not just where Portia... Um, Porsche works, but a lot of places, somebody tests positive, they go into quarantine for 14 days, then what is the all clear or what is the, okay, you can go back to, you know, you can go back to wherever you came from. Correct. So when you test positive for antigen test, so antigen means you're looking for specific, specifically for the virus. Okay. Right. So, so you look for the virus and you have symptoms or you don't have symptoms, we look for the virus. And if you test positive for that test, that means the virus, you're carrying the virus. So that's the, that means that you are actively contaminated with COVID-19. Right. Okay, so then if you get sick and you recover, the antigen test should be negative, which means that you are not actively carrying the virus. Right. right? But uh, your antibody test should be positive because that shows that you've recovered from it. So you'd be a negative antigen test but a positive antibody test. So you should have an antibody test before you you're you go back to whatever residential or situation or whatever living situation or work situation correct or a negative antigen test or a negative antigen, antigen test. test correct all right i think that answers the question let's go to um let's go is it is it lays is it hayes 
Lay's. Okay, Lay's. Hi. L-A-Z. Hi. I thought good that, I thought that was it. Okay, you got an unusual name. That's cool. Um, good morning, Lay's. <laughs> What's your question or comment? So um, my question is, wouldn't it be um, more effective for the general public when they're outside to not wear gloves and just wash their hands more often? Because I feel like with the gloves, it would still be easier to spread, especially when you're removing it. You know, you still have to wash your hands because you're touching the, the gloves with your clean hands to remove it. All right, good question. The, 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 the glove controversy continues. Dr. Manny, what about, what about the gloves? If you're if you're washing if you're meticulous about washing your hands, you're not touching your face before you you know you change like you go someplace else you wash your phone you wash your hands. Do you really need to wear gloves? No. So so they, and and I also I also think sometimes gloves give us uh, like this false protection as well, <laughs> right? Well, because you put on gloves and people think oh, gloves are there but my hands are safe. So then you touch stuff and you put it back on your face. You actually could get sick from that. Right. right. So so it's one of those things where. If you are proactive with keeping your hands clean, uh, you should, even having gloves on, you should still be keeping your hands clean with the gloves on, right? Gloves does not mean you go ahead and touch every single surface because you can actually transmit disease from, from surface to surface just wearing a glove, right? Because you, if, if you have a glove on and you touch every single thing, you don't wash your hands, so you wait till you get home and you touch one door and you touch this other surface and this surface, each time you touch the surface, you can actually you're transmit. Contam- you're cross-contaminating. Correct. Yes. So it should be a thing of putting on gloves and then get rid of them. Um, if someone has a glove on all day, you're protecting yourself, but you're not actually protecting other people from you. So- and you know who has a great post on that is a uh, shout out to Janelle Pickens, because uh, Sarah's Pickens, she has a great post um, at underscore the real Nelly. She's working in a hospital. And um, Janelle, thank you so much for what you're doing uh, for the city. And for our people, but she she did a long post about people this whole glove issue because some of the grocery stores, uh, people go they'll wear the gloves, they'll go in, they'll go shopping, they'll pay, they'll take the bags out, they'll reach for the money after they've touched all these things in the grocery store. And she was saying how it's contaminating. Then if you're getting into your car, you're touching the steering wheel, and it gives you that false sense of security. You're just it, it's no different than. Doing it with bare hands and not washing your hands. Correct. Yes, and, and so that that's a, a catch twenty two piece. If you have gloves, you you want to get rid of gloves. Remember before this, if you had a glove on, you take it off, right? If you if you did, you know, I used to give vaccines uh, uh, to, to to patients uh, in for for uh, the flu uh, shot, for example. Every, after every single patient that I injected, I had to take off the gloves. Right. That's why you should do it. But today, because we have shortage, people are wearing gloves all day, <laughs> right? Can you wash? Can you wash the gloves like you wash your hands? Yes. So whatever you do, of washing the gloves. But the thing is, you know, a lot of these gloves are very fragile, right? I mean, I, I used to put on gloves all the time, but then they were always ripped. They, thank you. They always rip, right? By the time I actually leave the car and walk anywhere, it's all ripped. <laughs> right? Exactly. So, yeah, correct. So you need uh, a lot of them. All right. One eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. Uh, let's go right now to uh, uh, let's go to Jay. This is an unusual question. Jay, hi. You're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Hey, Jay. You're on Hot ninety seven. Go. I just want to know is yeah, Jay, go right ahead. Yeah, hello, Lisa, can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Go ahead. I wanted to know. Okay, I want to know is there any harvesting happening with the COVID um, death? Oh, okay. I hadn't even thought about that. In terms of organ donations, somebody dies from coronavirus. They can't donate an organ. Um, yes, that would not be the ideal situation because yes, you, you have. You're donating. 
Correct, because remember, yes, even though the viral infection is in your lungs, but this is systemic, right? Uh, we've talked about this where you could actually, it's two samples test positive, right? right? For example, um, you know, for, for the virus, because it's systemic, right? So you affect certain parts of your lungs, but it is everywhere. If you take someone's blood from your toes or whatever, you used to find this. And so it's not the ideal situation to then take those organs. Uh, to, 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 but, I mean, I'll leave that up to the, to the organ donation people to make that decision, but I don't think you'd be the right candidate. All right, let's go to um, OB right now. OB, hi, you're on Hot 97. Hi, good morning, Lisa. Hey, good How morning. Um, so now you're a healthcare worker, and you got a comment for us about these, this whole glove controversy. I am. I, I do x-rays in the bras, and um, I'll, I'm just going to preface this by saying that I'm, I'm not like a conspiracy guy, and I'm not one that's hyper-paranoid um, in the past. But for, you know, obvious reasons, I did take this COVID thing seriously when, you know, when it came to America. And um, my first just gut instinct when I realized um, that the, the major transmission point was touching, you know, your respiratory areas, your nose, your eyes, your, you know, your, your mouth. I said, well, common sense says, let me just wear gloves. And maybe it's because I have a, a background in healthcare, I'm just used to when I'm wearing gloves, I'm never going to touch my face because that's just muscle memory, you know, like it feels awkward. So thing, just as a way to remind myself never to touch my face, and I think I've been successful to that end. Um, I don't know, and I'm, I'm kind of an advocate for the wearing glove thing. But I, you know, but I don't think it's, it's, it's because I'm afraid of touching a dirty surface. I think it's more just to be mindful not to touch my nose and eyes and stuff. But, but Craig, and also, and I agree with you, I'm an advocate for, for glove wearing as well, but it's about proper glove wearing gloves properly, right? And so when you go to work, for example, you put on a glove, do you have, do you have the same glove on all day, or do you... Change it so, so, what I'm, so what I'm doing, and I'm not advised, I mean, look, people need to protect their jobs, and I understand that we have infection control departments and that, that, you know, may not, you know, I don't want anybody to get in trouble at work. But what I've been doing is I wear gloves at all times the second I leave the house. I'm always wearing gloves. I'm treating my first layer of gloves like my skin, like my hands. Um, but at this point, anytime I come into contact or I'm getting ready to come into contact, I'm up to three pairs of gloves at this point. I wear, I'll, I'll remove my third layer of gloves. The first time I make contact, and then, you know, I touch my equipment with a second layer that's completely clean. I have a whole process, you know. But my, my thing, like, like when, like when you said earlier and giving examples about people in the supermarket and stuff like that, touching their gloves and now using these dirty gloves to touch other things, that's the same thing like using your bare hands to touch everything. Just exactly. Your bare but, hands. but see, but, here, but here, here's the thing, Obi. The, the way you're doing it, you have a system right. that you have memorized. Like I, w I was wearing gloves to, to do errands, but then I realized, okay, I had the gloves on. Then I have to take them off to get, you know, even to pull out my phone to use the Apple Pay if it's a store that accepts Apple Pay or if I have to pull my wallet out and then get my debit card out and then going into the car then opening the door handle of the car and then inside the car with the gloves, I was like going, oh, wait a minute. Why don't I just take these off and sanitize my hands like I would normally do before touching the steering wheel? So it's, it's, like, if, I, it's like if you don't have a routine, I, it gets, I think people just keep them on because they're correct. I think gloves or they are, don't have that many pairs. Correct, correct. Gloves are the best way to go, but right. use gloves properly. Right. That's, that's what we're advocating for. So just, just in case anybody you know, wants to simplify this, what I feel has worked for me and another thing that I implemented right away, I assume that everything is dirty. My car, I assume, is filthy. 
See, I'm not assuming anything too. around me is right. clean or sanitary. And even my phone, so my process is I keep my gloves on at all times, but when I step into my house, the first thing I do is I take my phone, I alcohol wipe that, then I remove my gloves, and I wash my hands and pop, 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 pop. You know what I'm saying? But right. to I take off the gloves at any too. point and assume that any surface is clean, you'd be advised to do that as well. All right, that's, a, that's a great point. Perfect. I agree with you. Obi, thank you so much for the, uh, thank you so much for the tip. I really appreciate it. All right, let's. We got a lot of questions about uh, grocery. We got to take a little break. All right, uh, Neek. Just everyone, hang on the line. Neek Roy. Everybody else on hold. Wizard. Uh, we're going to get to your calls right after this break at one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. This is Hot ninety seven Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. We're here with you. I'm Lisa Evers, your host for Street Soldiers. Dr. Manny is with us as well, taking your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. And Dr. Manny, you know, food has been a big, big issue for a lot of people, um, especially with the food pantries, the regular food pantries that they relied on being closed. So we just we really want to shout out all of the volunteers uh, that Bronx effort is still going on. With thousands of meals a day, these grab-and-go meals, the meal hubs are still activated uh, throughout the uh, New York City public school buildings, uh, many of their locations. So we want to shout out, and there's so many volunteers and so many nonprofit organizations that are doing it. I, I saw people in my neighborhood uptown; they were uh, they had rental they had rental vans. They were delivering meals to to uh, some of the seniors in the buildings and some of the other families that just needed food, which was a, a beautiful thing. So shout out to all the volunteers who are doing that and all the staffers at the organizations uh, making that all work. But uh, we're taking questions because, you know, yesterday was a warm day, our first sunny Saturday, kind of in a long time. I don't know. It felt like it rained for it was cold and rainy for like three months straight to me. But anyway, so yesterday <laughs> it did. Everybody was out. I'm exaggerating, but that's what it felt like. Um, so I'm validating my feeling on that subject. The, um, <laughs> the, it was, it was really, uh, really warm. Everybody was out. So it's raising a whole different set of questions for us. And, uh, you know, we're taking your calls on this. All right. Here's a grocery store question. Is it Neek? Yes. Oh, Neek. Hi. You're on Hot 97. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for having me. Um, I have a question in regards to the grocery store cashiers. Um, because every time I go in the grocery store, they're wearing the same pair of gloves and literally checking out everyone that comes to the store, and I don't see them sanitize or even change that pair of gloves. So essentially, can't they be spreading the virus through contact with every customer that leaves the store? Oh, that is an excellent question. Dr. Manny, and also, too, some of the stores, depending on which store you're in, if you're in one of these, like, neighborhood stores, they... Your, all of your things are on the belt, right? All of your items that you're buying. The person with what Nika is saying, the person with the gloves is touching that package or that whatever it was or that bag that has the vegetables in it. And they're putting it in your shopping bag or a shopping bag, which shout out to all the stores that are still using the plastic shouting bags. I mean, shopping bags. That's imp No, it is. It's important. It's important. I'm glad they're not enforcing that. Uh, plastic bag ban right now because pe people need it. But anyway, her question is, so that grocery store worker ha that's running the cash register, putting all those things in the bag, they have been touching everything from everybody all through the day. And now you're bringing that into your home. Correct. So, so uh it depends what grocery store you go to and what precautions are being followed in that particular store, right? So, right. so there are certain stores where you come in, everyone must wear a face mask, right? Or, Most of them, yeah. Correct. Like you must wear a face mask, and if you don't, I tried going to the grocery store the other day, actually, 
and the security guard literally gave me face mask <laughs> right I come on the side get a face mask and then get into the store so i saw that happen quite often so if everyone is protected all we can do is uh, uh diminish the risk of spread right if, so if everyone is, is is protected everyone's washing their hands uh, i mean it's unrealistic uh, to a certain point that the cashier will sit there and every single person that comes in they can't take, take forever correct i mean they keep taking a glove and right? they're trying to keep the line and shout out to the grocery store workers correct. because so, you are so making the lines move fast so many of you correct so we could do our own part so if we do right. our part by keeping our hands clean and everything else then the cashier touching everyone that everyone should be clean right i mean that's the overall idea then like your box of cereal do you need to when you get that home if if they're putting it in the bag for you do you need to like wipe down the outside of that that box correct I mean, so, so no, there is a or point is that of, getting too crazy there, there is a point of like and, and this could easily get to the point of like getting like ocd about certain things right, right. And, and so we know about some of the things that are high risk and extremely common and so we could do we could do things to to, to decrease that and mitigate that right staying six feet from each other these air droplets uh, you know the further they go the most the less likely they are to actually be infectious um right and we know they doesn't uh, survive that much in the air or can't survive that long so I, I think uh, the, the key things to focus on is the six feet distance rule. Make sure you put on a face mask. Make sure you wash your hands. I think uh, we, we, there's bigger risk of of the disease being spread that way as opposed to being concerned about if it's on his glove. Every single disc. little thing. Then correct because I mean it's impossible we'll to, to do that. Yeah, we we'll just go we'll, crazy. We'll, we'll really go crazy. <laughs> correct. And we have too many other things to worry about. Let's go. Uh, let's go. We got more. A lot on the glove though. A lot on the gloves. All right. Let's. Uh, Let's go to Wizard right now. Wizard, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hello. Hey, how Wizard. How are you guys doing? All right, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you um, for uh, hanging on. Thank you. Thank you for taking the call. I was calling more or less because, um, you know, I do lift sometimes and DoorDash, and I, got, I think I got sick in October. Uh, and I had all the symptoms of coronavirus. The one that was really that got to me was like the dizziness and the sweats at night. Now, um, I went to the doctor, they, you know, they, were, they wasn't really saying much. That was before the whole pandemic. But basically what happened is I, I went to my country and went to Haiti and I got some medicine and I was good. But I was wondering if I got, if I, if I have, if I'm positive for the antibody, so now basically I'm cured, could I get the virus again? Can he get it? Can he get it again, Doctor Manny? Can he get it again? The, the idea here, so from a scientific point of view, the, the hope, and even from the, from the question uh, that Lisa brought up earlier about herd immunity, the idea behind herd immunity is once you get exposed, then that means you can't get it again. That's that's the overall concept. Or you fight <laughs> it off fast. You fight it off, and yes, exactly. So, and your body has antibodies. And that's what the vaccine idea is about, right? Um, that you've been exposed and now you can fight it. You can create memory cells. But at this moment, we don't know if that actually is 100% protection. But we do know um, out of research and studies coming out of Korea and China, because they had this way ahead that identified, um, you know, this is COVID-19 uh, before we did, right? I mean, and they started managing this. They realized that out of patients that they actually treated, uh, people that recovered, about 2.8% of people actually got sick again. Right. So, so, so there's still a large number, over 90% of people, 97% of people that got sick that did not get sick again. Right. So, but it's small. So that's pretty good. Correct. So there's some people. And so the idea here was were these people infected uh, with a new infection and they, they don't believe that's the case. The assumption now is that they had a weakened immune system that something got triggered over again. Right. So 
they, they, they were immune. I mean, and they, they recovered, and then your immune system dropped for whatever reason, and then they got sick. So they got so sick again. So we keep coming back to that. Have the strong immune system. System, correct? Yes. So, and be healthy. Correct. So that's over, that's over idea, right? And and so uh, one way to find out if you were actually exposed to it is to do the antibody test, right? And you find out. Uh, but hopefully, and that's the best hope case for right now. We don't know, but we hope that uh, that means that you're actually protected. All right, let's go to uh, Sierra right now. Sierra, hi, you're on Hot 97. Good morning. Good morning. How is everyone? Oh, doing great. great. How about you? I'm doing all right. What's um, your question? I actually wanted to, chime, I wanted to chime in on this grocery store and cross-contamination because I, I, so I'm an essential worker. I work for a car rental company in LaGuardia, um, and my everyone says, you know, why don't you wear gloves? Why don't you wear a mask? And to me, I think that it's become kind of scarier to wear a mask because I think when you have on a mask, you feel the need to touch it because you're either hot or you feel like you can't breathe. Or if you have gloves on, you feel like, oh, okay, well, it's just you forget and you scratch your face or you touch your face. We've gotten into the extreme habit of, cleaning everything. I wash my hands after everyone I help. If I have a line, I'm sanitizing between customers and kind of just making sure that everything's okay. But I've seen people truly take their glove off with their mouth. What? Truly. Just bite the fingertip of the glove so that they could get their phone out of their pocket so that they aren't touching their phone with their dirty glove, but they're biting it off of their finger. That's gross. That is. It's what I said. That's that's it's, that's kind of gross. It's gross. I mean, and it's scary. I mean, I go shopping, and I truly have now. I do drive up at Target. Everything comes from Target, and before it gets in the car, it gets wiped down. And that and that's that's what it is. Correct. I, but but for for the face mask piece, I understand that the glove. Uh, piece but i mean the face mask piece. Correct, you should wear gloves and, and and the idea is how do you, what's the proper way of wearing gloves right i mean that's what we're discussing here right if you could wear gloves and take them off at the right time and, and follow the, the right rules for how you use a glove definitely uh, wear gloves uh, and, and sh- you should be aware of that the face mask piece if you are she's dealing with a lot of different customers correct and, and so i i think a face mask at least um should be necessary for you um and, and the, the reason being you, you can't clean the air in front of you, right? So if someone coughs, for example, we know this is air, it's airborne. You're, you're going to inhale right. it, right? And and if you're infected as well. So there's two reasons for wearing face masks. One is that you want to prevent other people's, um, in, like N95 masks we talked about, right? It's more about you getting infected or preventing people from getting sick. That's why healthcare workers put it on. But the average person in general should put on a mask because one, you're preventing yourself from other people, right? So when you cough or you, or you sneeze, it stays within that. It doesn't. You don't put Lisa at risk. You don't put myself at risk, right? right? So, so it's not just about you and what you do is about the other people around you as well. So but I, but I also, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. But I also think I also think that with the weather getting warm too, it's it's like yesterday. The the mask gets very. It does get very. It gets very hot. I know it, it, it is extremely uncomfortable. You know, like if you're running or if you're like moving around or even just walking around in in, in that warm weather, it's, it gets very like uncomfortable. It is hard. I mean, like especially like someone like like I've never actually like put on it like on a bunch of hats that I wear hats or sunglasses right in my life because right. I feel like I'm carrying something on my head, <laughs> right? Right. And so put on a face mask. Um, even even though I mean being a physician and being in surgery, yes. So I'm, I get used to that process. I put on a mask. And then you go into procedure and then you leave. So it's completely different, um, right? In this case, but 
is, is a new normal. I say initially now, it's difficult for us to adjust to it. But I think September, November, December, guess what? We'll all be accustomed to the idea of putting on a mask. Because just last week, when I left the studio, I saw people having a Louis Vuitton mask on already and Gucci making masks. Yes, right? well, Fat Joe had a, had a Dior mask on his Instagram. That's what I'm saying. So people are having designer masks, right? And so you see a lot of those coming in. They become stylish and people be wearing masks. Right? right, exactly. And as we're supposed to call them now, face coverings. Face coverings, But I've, I've seen a lot of creativity with that, too. One guy came out with one that has like a, a window, a plastic window, so you could see when somebody's smiling. Because that point that Assemblymember Reyes made, which he said, you know, you can't, with a mask on, even dealing with patients, you can't convey any emotion because it's just you're like in a space suit. Correct. Can you imagine being sick and going to the hospital and people, no. everyone shows up covered up in, like in And, you, and none of your gear. family can be there or Correct. your loved ones. It's, it's terrifying for you, right? And so, <laughs> right, it's not, it's terrifying. All right, this is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Unprecedented times, which are causing a lot of stress. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Lisa Evers, your host for Street Soldiers, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Lisa Evers. In studio with me, Dr. Emmanuel Manny Fambu. We call him Dr. Manny. He's a medical doctor and surgeon, author of the best-selling book, The Future of Healthcare. And Dr. Manny, we have a very special guest on the Hot 97 Newsmaker line with us right now, New York City First Lady Shirlane McRae. First Lady McRae, great to have you with us. Good morning. Good it's, morning. It's great morning. to be on with you and Dr. Manny. Well, thank you for joining us. Your first time on Street Soldiers. And uh, we wanted to talk with you about this new initiative that you came up with to help health care workers because we've been talking with a lot of them on the show and the amount of stress that they're under is just is incredible. But you, you have a really unusual plan for getting them some help. Can you tell us about that? Yes, we are just so grateful uh, to the U.S. Department of Defense, um, our, our Health and Hospitals and Greater New York Hospital Association for this program. They're all working together. The Department of Defense is going to uh, help our health care workers, our frontline health care workers, who've been responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, they are very much like healthcare, like soldiers returning from war. Um, they have been exposed to so much death, and so much suffering, um, and, and, and unusual circumstances as well, with uh, people not being able to have their family around them and their loved ones during a, a, a time of transition. So the Department of Defense is stepping in to help our healthcare workers with the trauma. Um, they're going to have, to have a special curriculum to um, help them with stress reduction and to help build resilience um, because they are laboring so many long hours and taking on extra shifts. And, and they, need, they need this kind of support because they're suffering from burnout and, and trauma. And then how will this be implemented? Because you really took the, the approach that w that we've been hearing from so many uh, frontline workers, including we just heard from the EMS uh, union leader, Oren Barzilay, talking about the the suicide of one of, one of their members, 23-year-old uh, John Mondello. Is, it's, you know, we've heard the term, this, this is a war, but this, these are conditions that so many of them have never had to 
experienced before and were never trained for. They were trained, you know, in a, a regular type of hospital setting or regular health concerns. And what about that whole wartime combat aspect that is, is so new for so many of them? That's got to be really a problem. It is. You know, we've never had a situation like this before. None of us, but our healthcare workers are on the front line. And, and you know, Lisa, they, they were already vulnerable. That's the thing that most people don't realize, that that our doctors are already in the number one profession for deaths by suicide. We lose, you know, three or four hundred a year. And this is before the pandemic. They're even more vulnerable now. Our, our nurse suicide rates are, are significantly higher than the general population. And our first responders, the folks who respond to EMS calls, are nearly six times more likely than the general population to take their own lives. Wow. So this is before the pandemic. Um, just, and, and the reality is they need mental health support. They needed it long before, and they need it more than ever now. And the Department of Defense... It, it, will modify a, um, this is a, a stress curriculum program, a stress management program that, that they have, they use for their soldiers, uh, which, you know, our healthcare workers are, are, are very like those soldiers, and um, teach them, it'll be a train the trainer webinar series, they'll be made available to all of them, but they will also assess our different facilities, they will assess individuals to see what what they can do to modify the curriculum that they use to help our our civilian force. So this is um, something that we've never done before, um, but is is very much needed to to help them get through this. Not just get through this pandemic, but be a support to them long after the pandemic is over. Because yes, it will be over at some point. But well, that's good to hear. They'll still need this kind of support. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks for calling, uh, you know, first lady. And, and, and I'll tell you, you, you highlighted a very a key point. As a physician uh, my, myself, and look at burnout rates and depression rates and suicide rates among among clinicians has been s- super high, right? And and one of the main reasons behind this is there's no one listens to you, right? If you show up and you say, hey, I am this successful doctor and this is how I feel, people tend to like, well, you're doing great. Why should you have problems? <laughs> it's kind of a mindset, right? right. So people end up having no one to speak to. And so they're kind of like trapped in, in their own little zone. There's no one to talk to. You're very busy working all the time, so you get burnout rates. And if you look at... Um, the death rates among minorities, even within the city, significantly higher. That shows up about the access to care in general. So these are things that already existed. COVID-19 has already just had just uh, exponentially exposed this. So now we all, everyone is looking at it because now it's under the flashlight, right? So we say it. So, so how do we go about, you know, addressing these issues even post in the post-COVID-19 world? I think that'd be very important. Um, so, uh, any ideas here on some kind of long-term solutions you think um, could be better for the city? You know, to get uh, you know from, from uh, the minority side and taking care of healthcare workers, right? Do we need we need more healthcare workers? How do we support people? I mean, education is not cheap these days, right? It's very expensive. How how will first lady? How mm-hmm. will it, how will how will it be working? You know, will all healthcare workers have access to it, or can you take us through the steps? Because yeah. I know you you have a very detailed yeah. plan. That's right. The program is. It's- they're ramping up right now. Um, the trainings will be, the, the uh, curriculum will be completed uh, this month, and we expect to have trained a whole set of trainers by the end of June. So we are acting very quickly, 
to make sure that uh, we have uh, the, the trainers that we need to continue this as an ongoing offering to our our staff and, and all staff are, will be eligible to take it. Anyone who, who wants to access it and there'll be additional resources added as well once the evaluations are completed. So this is one of the things that we're building in for the future. We, we know we can't go back to what we, the way things were operating before. We just can't. Um, that this is a, a support that healthcare workers need. I agree 100% with you, uh, Dr. Vandy, that, that we also need to figure out you know, how we're going to provide even more support to our nurses, doctors, medical staff. Well, we, need more, we need more people, and we need them in different right. capacities. We do, not have, we do not have the mental health workforce we need. We do not have enough nurses. Uh, and so we have to figure out like, how we're going to bring in, we've been able to import staff from other states. We have been very fortunate here in New York that so many people have volunteered to come in, but that's not a permanent solution. So this is something that we are, we will be looking at over the next 30 days uh, with our equity task force to see what we can do. No, that's fantastic. And then in, in terms of the, you know, the you've been on this um, fighting for mental health access for a lot of people with the New York City Thrive, where there are things you learned from that, th- those programs that you operated under there and, and set in motion that you feel will help you help you with this and will help implement this? Absolutely. Well, you know, the train the trainer model is, is one thing and you know, the use of peers. Is, is another uh, something else that, that we will be, be working with. Um, many of the people who will be trained all, will be uh, uh, the folks who work in uh, employee assistance programs and uh, the people who do mental health uh, work for others will be trained to actually help their own, their own workers, which is fantastic. And we know that people just always need some place to turn. It's not a. It's a, not like a. You, you go one time to see your your primary care doctor once a year, and everything you know you get everything checked, and you don't have to go for another year. We know that people who work in high stress occupations like this, they they always need some place to turn. They may have had a a patient who died that they felt very close to, and they need to be able to talk to someone about that afterwards. Um, I think Dr. Vanny said it very well. They're, you know, they're the people that people turn to all the time to for for their compassion, for their expertise, for their knowledge of how, how do you know what's going to happen next and what should the, they do as family or as supporters. But but they need somebody, some people to talk to as well. So no. we're very cognizant that you know our our trainers who will be trained by the Department of Defense experts. Um, and the the all the other folks, the employee assistance program people, the spiritual, you know, the chaplains, and second victim program leads within their respective healthcare systems will all get this training, and we will learn from them what more is needed. No, that's fantastic. And then, will they be able to access? Will there be a, a like the cost for this? Will they be able to? get it at a, you know, free or at a reduced, at a reduced rate? Or how does, like if somebody does come for help? No, no cost. No cost. There'll be no cost to this, no cost. No. And it will be offered virtually. 
Uh, the Department of Defense is not charging us for this training. And so our role is just to train as many trainers who can then in turn continue training people uh, going forward so that we will be well-resourced. Exactly. In terms of people who are understanding of the program. No, and so and so needed now, and uh, wonderful, wonderful work, very important work. And New York City First Lady Shirley McRae, thank you very much for being with us on Street Soldiers this morning. Thank we appreci- you. We appreciate it. Well. Thank great, you. That's a great program. And it does not, doesn't it sound great, right? Correct. I mean, when you have uh, people like trainer trainers. Uh, this has been used in different parts These of the These are healthcare. combat. These are guys used to combat situations. Correct. So they, they understand this. And so you, you're talking to people that you could relate to, right? And, and they could learn over time and train other people. And so this is like a community effort. And so it's fantastic to hear um, the government and the states uh, working together. Right. And then she, that she, they were able to bring them in. They'll be trained and then they'll be accessed. Because it'll probably be easier for the, for the you know, because also, too, I'm sure doctors and, you know, people that are used to saving lives don't like to ask for help sometimes for themselves. But since it's going to be part of the system, asking, right? No one listens, you know. Like, uh, you, you, you find it how shocking it is when you have uh, you know, problems and you try to talk to other people and people go, how could you have this kind of problem? It's like watch, watching like a, like a wealthy person commit suicide. Like, what? You had all this money and you killed yourself. What's right. wrong with you? Exactly. <laughs> right? Same kind of thing. Made this real. All right, uh, 1-800-223-9797. We have many telephone calls, and, and uh, shout-out to the First Lady, Shalane McRae. Thank you for calling in and being on our Hot 97 Newsmaker line and uh, talking about this new program with the Department of Defense to create trainers uh, to help deal with the mental health crisis for health health workers. We're going to be following that. Maybe in June we can get one of them up here and, and find out you know, what they're learning and what they're going to be telling people. Correct. A lot of people can learn from it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Let's go to uh, Sam right now. Sam, hi. You're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Two in a row. Back together again like Jeffrey has gone. Um, in terms of if somebody gets uh, tested positive at the workplace, should everybody at that workplace be tested? Okay, Samuel, I'm going to get a good answer from Dr. Manion that this is happening to a lot of places and a lot of people. If someone tests positive for COVID-19, does the entire workplace need to uh, get tested? If you're in contact with that person, you should definitely get tested, right? Um, so it depends how large the workplace is. Um, just like if, any, if someone in the building gets uh in an office building, get test positive. Uh, if you were in contact with that person, yes, you should definitely get tested because you were exposed um, uh, to that. So, uh, kind of a contact tracing thing. Correct. So, if you look at like healthcare a situation where you have frontline workers, nurses, uh, janitors, that work in the hospital, engineers, and uh, shout out to engineers. Last week we had an engineer right. call, <laughs> right? So, so, anyone in a hospital, and if you're there and you have sick people with COVID nineteen inside, yes, you've been exposed. So, you should get frequent testing uh, to find out. All right, let's go to uh, Suzanne right now. Suzanne, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning. Good Shout morning. out to the direct care professionals. We are we are working on the front lines also. We work with um, intellectual disabled individuals who have been tested um, positive for COVID-19. Yes, um, most of us, we, 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 get, we get notices so that we could get tested get tested but my problem is some of us even if the residents are tested positive we do not have eeps to protect us as workers wow and do you work for a a private agency that's contracted with the city or state with the state 
with the state and have with you the state. wow with I, the state if they do give us if they do give us masks sometimes a whole week before we get another one one there mask there is an agency that says to us we're going to get one every two days every two days you talk about every month we get EEPs wow we and- get we, we don't get masks it's like we, we, we talk about frontline workers, but um, I say direct care professionals who work with individuals with disability. We are frontline workers. We 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 there with them, and it it hurts us to know that we too have families. We but, too when 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 these guys get tested positive, we have to go home to our families. Suzanne, I think we don't get to see out yet. I'm I'm up against the, up against the clock here. What the work the work that you do the direct support professionals and direct care professionals, um, I think if it's if your agency if they're not giving you a fresh they should at least have a fresh mask every day, right? At Correct. the bare minimum. And you should and you should be protected to the best ability before you go in. You should not go put yourself at risk uh, because of this. Because they're in very close court. They're they're touching the patients. They have to be very close to them in order to do their jobs and be effective and help them. Correct. And, and, and one of the best ways for us to control this, uh, the, the, um, you know, the government put it uh, perfectly clear, that once we actually figure out who has was tested positive, the next wave what we're looking at right now is where are the new infections coming from, right? And so if, unless it's going to be this, correct? We, if we need to control these kind of things. Otherwise, the spread will continue going, and it, we're all in trouble because of this. Suzanne, I'm going to put you on. I'm going to put you on hold, and Anaya's going to get your uh, get your telephone number so we can look into this. But I think you have to complain to your agency, and if you've already done that, nothing happens. I think a complaint needs to go to Governor Cuomo to the New York State Health Department. If it's a state licensed agency, because that's putting you at risk, that's putting your coworkers at risk, and it's mm-hmm. putting and it's putting the people that that you're there helping. You guys do you you are unsung heroes on this on the uh, frontline workers because without you, a lot of these people would not be able to even perform the most basic functions or have you know or or continue with their development. Correct, because it's senior care, right? You can't right. say don't go to work, right? <laughs> right? You're they're going. To they need you. They're going into people's homes. They're going into facilities. Um, but th- thank you very much. I'm going to put you on hold, and Anaya's going to get your number, okay? No problem. All right, thank you. All right, Jack's going to put her on hold. Let's see if we can take, do we have time for one more quick, one more quick call here? Okay. Uh, let's, let's go to, uh, Ray right now. Ray, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hello? Hey, uh, Ray, is it Roy? Yeah. Oh, is it Roy or yeah, Ray? It's Roy, yeah. Roy, okay. Yeah, it's Roy. All right, you've been hanging out for a long time. Thank you so much for hanging out. What's your question or comment? Yeah, Roy, I don't know family vote. Yeah, um, like I'm just sitting here listening to the hype over the COVID-19. Um, what, what I'm really trying to know, and no one's answering this question, the COVID-19 was just brought into our existence not too long ago. Prior to that, let's go a year and a half to two years ago, how many people died? over the the flu, the common flu, because each and every year, thousands and thousands of people, see, I don't want people to be misled or misconstrued and they're just being blinded, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people have died already every single year over the flu to the point where it didn't even become a big hype because that many people are dying. So now they're estimating X amount of people dying off the COVID-19. I want to know how many people died two years ago off of the flu when we had no coronavirus. Okay, okay. Roy, I mean, for, for, so Roy, we can for, stop being all scared and all this. Over, like, Roy, that, Roy, Roy, Roy I got I got to stop you for a couple of reasons, but the number one is is that we're out of out of time. The average 
average year for health de- uh, deaths due to regular flu range from like 20,000 to 40,000? Uh, correct. In the United States. We're already at over 67,000 deaths in the United States, and that's not even, that's probably a number that's on the low end. Correct. So what do you say to people? Because there are people that share his, his view quickly. What do you say? Yeah, correct. It, it, is, it is true that more people die from, I mean, they have a lot of deaths from, from the flu virus. We also know a lot of people die from cancer and, and diabetes and, and Many heart other failure things. and the, 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 the bunch of things. Uh, what is concerning about this particular virus is, so the flu, for example, can be contained. We know that the flu, we have a flu season, right? And we know what happens after that. We've had the flu around for a very long period of time to understand its movements. The reason why this hype, as you mentioned, around COVID-19 is because it's novel and it's new. We don't know a lot about it. So if you don't know, there's reason to be to be concerned about it, right? So we also had the flu, um, you know, the Spanish flu pandemic that, that, that killed tons of people in 1918. And so we've had experiences with this kind of things in the past, so we know what to predict in the future, right? This wiped up millions of lives, right? You have countries today, like in Italy, they had flu every every year, but it wasn't as devastating as today. Right. Right. Uh, during the flu season, the hospitals are not being overwhelmed by people coming in uh, with severe People pneumonia. going into cardiac arrest Correct. or having blood clots Correct. So you in, see how, in their 30s. In, in their 30s, right? And so you see how people that die, of course, the high-risk people, like the advice young people and the elderly should get flu shots, especially, right? Healthcare workers should get flu shots. So the flu, yes, it is concerning. It does not mean that we ignore the flu. No, we have a vaccine for the flu, right? And we know exactly what happens to the flu, and it doesn't overwhelm my health system. With COVID-19, our health system is being overwhelmed. We heard about healthcare workers committing suicide and being burnt out and in, in severe distress and working extra hours. Um, so it's not a hype to open, to shut down the Javis Center and turn into a hospital and turn the Central Park into a hospital, shut down the entire economy. No, it's not a hype. <laughs> it is it is a real it's, thing. It's really happening. It's serious. It's really happening. All right. Um, uh, Dr. Manny, I want to thank you very much for being with us again, for answering uh, so many calls and questions and bringing so much great information to us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I also want to thank our guests um, that we had on New York State Assembly member Karinas Reyes. She's also an oncology nurse uh, on the front lines there in the hospital. Warren Barzillay, president of the FDNY EMS Local 2507, representing FDNY paramedics and EMTs. Warren, great to have you on um, for the update there. And also for the first time on Street Soldiers, we're very happy to have on New York City's First Lady, Sherlane McRae, talking about the new healthcare worker mental health initiative using uh, experts from the Department of Defense to train people here because they're used to dealing with combat situations, which this clearly is. I want to thank everybody involved with the show here. I got Jack the Mac on the boards uh, keeping us on the air. Producer Anaya, Maryland production assistant, Michael Medium, distro manager there, getting our uh, shows out all over the place, edited and, and posted. Miabel NYC, always keeping us uh, in tune with what's happening in the hip-hop world. And uh, thank you to Luis Mercado, on the digital side for helping us get the word out uh, across all of the Hot 97 digital platforms and everybody else here on the team. Thank you so very, very much. And thank you for joining us. Uh, Dr. Manny, I think we're going to do a little Facebook Live here at 910 for about 15 minutes. Just a quick Facebook Live on at Lisa Evers, uh, official with the blue check, not the bootleg one. And um, we're going to take some some questions and just kind of go through this whole glove thing seemed to be a big deal today. We're going to just go through that routine and also the testing routine, too, and whatever else you feel is 
people need to know about. Perfect. This is my first Facebook Live. So looking forward to it. All right, here we go. All right, we got first first lady, the first with the first lady. We got the first with you with a Facebook Live. Always breaking ground here at Street Soldiers. Remember, use your mind. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, joy, and health equity.